if you're a resident, if you invest in a syndication and you know someone, you don't have to have hundreds of thousands of dollars to be able to invest. You can invest a small amount, but that will be valuable in the future. I honestly wish someone would have told me that when I was a resident. Welcome to the Physicians and Properties Podcast. The show where we teach you how investing in real estate can give you the freedom to practice medicine and live life how you want. Doctor. 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 Now, here's your host, Dr. Alex Schlow. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Physicians and Properties Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Alex Schlow. I'm so glad that you're here listening to another episode of the podcast. I hope you've gotten a lot of value out of each episode and a lot of value out of the guests who've taken their time to come speak with us. Our guest today took time out of a busy medical conference in Washington, D.C. to come talk with us. Dr. Ivana Valenzuela is an endocrinologist who specializes in thyroidology, and she's also an investor, a real estate investor. She has invested in some single-family homes as well as passively in syndications, which is her main focus. In this episode, we talk a lot about how to get started investing in real estate, what you should look for in a passive real estate investment. And I met on LinkedIn, and she does a really great job at networking with folks on LinkedIn. And so if you're wondering about how to get involved in LinkedIn, how to network in LinkedIn, and how to grow your LinkedIn page, she gives you a lot of tangible tricks and tips that are really helpful for this. So stay tuned for that as well. This episode was a really fun one, really grateful for our conversation. I benefited a lot from it, and I'm sure you will too. So if you learned something from this episode, do me a favor, please leave a review, give us a five stars. That'd be fantastic. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Without any further ado, let's get into today's episode with Dr. Ivana Valenzuela. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Physicians and Properties podcast. Today, I have a really special guest. Dr. Ivana Valenzuela is joining us from DC at a medical conference. Dr. Valenzuela, good to see you. How are things going? Doing fantastic. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So glad to have you on the podcast. It's been cool to you know have you on here. Thanks for taking the time being at a medical conference, and it's been cool to meet you through LinkedIn and now get you here on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Well, we had a great conversation beforehand. Let's see if we can uh, continue that going forward. So if you don't mind just telling folks just a little bit about yourself, kind of your journey into medicine, that'd be awesome. Oh, yes. I am an endocrinologist specializing in thyroid. I moved from the Dominican Republic many years ago, a decade ago, and I did my training in internal medicine first in Connecticut, and then I did my fellowship down in Florida in endocrinology, and I am currently practicing thyroidology. That's been my journey through medicine. How did you land on thyroidology? Yes, I am very interested in the thyroid gland. I was in medical school, so I became an endocrinologist, and then I always had this thing for the thyroid gland and got some certifications in thyroid procedure, and lucky enough to have a job where I focused on thyroid, thyroid procedures, and thyroid nodules, thyroid cancer, and I've been there. That's awesome. We need more endocrinologists in Colorado Springs, so I'll try and recruit you after, but uh, I know you're doing big things there in Florida. I Speaking of the thyroid, when I was in residency, uh, Dr. Morton, if you're listening to this, uh, was an internal medicine physician that we worked with, and he 
always, if you did not get a TSH coming from the ER, I mean, it could have been for anything. Like he cut your finger off and he's like, where's the TSH? And so I'll never forget him. I'll never forget that. He was a big fan of the TSH, you know, the thyroid as well as magnesium. Those were like his big things. He always had to have those and he was happy. So, you know, it's true. You always have to check it in case, you know, I am a, a side common nine. And if you'll say that I had this patient who ended up going to a place where they took off, they, they, they took off her levothyroxin and they gave her some compound levothyroxin and she was taking it and she had all these symptoms. So she ended up going to the ER and they asked her if she was taking levothyroxin and she's yes. And even though she had all this funky symptoms, they never check her TSH because she said that she was taking her medication. And needless to say, when she went back a few weeks later, her TSH was 100. So, wow. Yeah. Well, so I agree. Yes. Yeah, with your attending, yeah. always. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As an attending now myself, I check the TSH all the time and I'm often surprised. And then often reaching out to endocrinology, like, okay, what's next? <laughs> but yeah, the thyroid definitely involved in everything and can get quite complicated. So, that's really cool that you specialized in that. And uh, that's awesome. Well, cool to hear your journey. How did you end up coming here from the Dominican Republic? How was that? Yeah. What was that like? So I it, it basically took some restudying, relearning medicine in English. I, you know, in the Dominican Republic, we speak Spanish. So my medical training was in Spanish. And then when I decided to come here, I had to relearn everything in English again. So I took all those boards in which were a lot of fun. And then I made it. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm sure it was, you know, kind of doing that twice in terms of medical school. Do you still use Spanish much in your practice? So, you know, since I am in Florida, I have maybe, no, not half of the patients. I would say 65 of my patients, for 65% of the patients, I use just English. For 35%, I do use Spanish, I think. Very cool. 30, yeah. 30%. Yeah, I used to know a good bit of Spanish, took three years of it in high school and then took like three years of it in college and then it's all gone now. I think it was replaced with real estate, uh, but I really think I just need to spend some time in some Spanish speaking countries and I'll come back, but I do. We'll come I, back I for sure. Yeah. But if it feel any better, this I mostly like speak in English, right? And then I train in English again. When I have like Spanish speaking patients, sometimes I forget my words in Spanish. So I'm like, I want to tell you this, but give me one moment, so I have to find the word. I have to do that in English sometimes too, so no worries there. <laughs> also, how did you get involved in real estate? What was kind of the journey there into real estate? So I felt like when I bought my property many years ago, the realtor I had, he gave me reach that poor dad at the time. And I am very thankful that he did. He told me, you need to read this book. And that was the beginning I honestly didn't understand the book quite well at the time. I just got out of training and I really didn't understand what all these things meant, assets and liabilities and all this stuff that he was talking about. I did get from the book that my home was not an asset. So like I learned the phrase, but again, I was like, I remember that I kept like complaining in my head, like this makes no sense. Why is it my home an asset? So I said, but you know, back home, Basically, I learned from my parents that my home was an asset. And I can tell you that my parents put all their money into our primary residence because, you know, I was told that this was an asset. So when I learned, when I read this book and they told me that it was not an asset, that was very shocking. So 
I didn't really grasp it at the time. Fast forward a few years later, well, which means a couple of years ago, I invested in a property and I was very excited about that. And at, the, at that time, the same realtor basically told me that I should invest in like more of a duplex or quadplex or something along those lines. I did look into several and then by then, you know, it was like COVID times and I really didn't find anything that I was excited about. I didn't like what I saw. And then I learned about multifamily, like real multifamily, more than just, you know, a duplex. And I started investing passive. So that's what basically got me into it. I just wanted to like, I guess most people who invest passively, right? You want something to give you passive income and something to supplement your regular income. And that was my only goal. But as time went I I thought that real estate is more than just that. It has given me a sense of accomplishment, honestly. So that's what started the whole thing. That's awesome. Do you remember getting that first distribution check and kind of what, what were your thoughts or how did you feel when you got that first check in the mail or, or wired to you for that first investment? So I was very excited. I was like, wow, this is like really working. You know, it was this, my first investment on that was last year, you know, interest rates, construction costs and all this stuff happened. So the distribution started and then they stopped for a few months and then they restarted again. Um, we have done well. I'm very happy about that. I was very excited, but I think the most exciting part of the whole thing was when I did my taxes. Tell us more about that. I bought a single family home, right? A couple of years ago and I did my taxes. I don't know how I ended up paying back the government, even though I am tax free high, right? And I bought and I did an investment for some reason, I ended up paying back the government. When I inquired that to the CPA, she was like, well, you know, you make a lot of money, but I just invested in real estate. This makes no sense. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, there's nothing we can do. This is it. Fast forward to this year, I invested in multifamily syndication, right? Uh, what do you know? I actually got all of the money back. That's awesome. Yeah, a lot of tax benefits to investing in real estate, especially large multifamily, you know, different cost segregation studies and so forth mm -hmm. that are done. Yeah. I mean, that that's how people do it. That's how they pay no money in taxes. They invest a lot of money in real estate. Yes. And so it's a really great way to do that. You bring up a good point too. I think a lot of times people think about their returns for real estate investing strictly on either like cash flow and appreciation. And they forget the benefit, the tax benefits that apply to that too. And so sometimes that's looking into, okay, well, it's cash flow, it's appreciation, it's the mortgage pay down that your tenants are paying. And it's also these tax benefits. So there's a lot of different ways to make money and benefit from real estate besides just cash flow. And I'm all about cash flow. I love cash flow, but it's getting really hard to find cash flow right now with the current interest rate environment that we're in. And so I think that having to look at real estate more at a holistic approach and see that there's a lot of different ways that it can benefit you. Correct. That's how I see it. I see that you know, you might not get the cash flow right away because, you know, the interests are the rate they are and it's not the perfect time, although it's never the perfect time, right? So, but it's like, because it's like more of a look at that, you still get benefits. I mean, even if, if you don't get the benefits right away, so it's not an instant gratification by getting cash flow right away. It is a gratification because when I did my taxes this year, I had a smile from year to year. So, yeah, well, that's worth it for sure. What does what's kind of your buy box look at like, or what are you looking for in a syndication or an investment? What's that look like? So the listeners can kind of understand that a little bit more. What you're looking for. So there are several things that 
as a passive investor. So before I became a passive investor, I did do my due diligence and I did look into learning about investment, not just I'm just going to give you my money and that's the end of the conversation. I did learn about it. I did learn about what cash flow meant and the cash and cash and what was the IRR and what was the equity multiplier. So I did look into those numbers and I tried to analyze it. So at the passive investor, you need to look at the track record of the operator, how they have done in the past, you know, if they have come full circle. I had, I mean, now, now that I tell you that, I even forgot about this. For example, earlier this year, I got proposed to deal that sounded, to say numbers wise, sounded interesting, right? It was like, you put this amount of money and we'll give you 25% extra of what you're doing. We return your money and we give you 25%, right? However, when I looked into the deal, there was no, I had already invested. So they gave me this not real PPM, which is, you know, what you receive when you do a syndication. It was this short contract, which was written in a very odd way. And I read it and it didn't make a lot of sense to me. And my intuition told me that this was not correct. So I basically gave it to a lawyer and the lawyer came back to me and says, is this supposed to be a syndication? Is this supposed to be a JV? I'm not quite sure what is this. And this basically I told the lawyer, I was like, I am not quite sure because I know what a syndication looks like. And this is not a syndication and I've never done a JV. So I don't know if this is a JV, but this doesn't sound right. So I did check with a lawyer and the lawyer didn't like the contract. So therefore I didn't get into this deal. But then when I look furthermore, these people, they have not come full circle. So that to me was already a red flag. So I stepped away from it. So as a passive investor, those are things to take into consideration. Yeah, absolutely. And full circle for folks who may not know, it just means, hey, they raised money for an investment. That investment went full circle. They paid off their investors. They repositioned the property in some way, sold it, refinanced it, et cetera. And yeah, really important, especially in the market or how the market had been previously, especially in the multifamily space, You know, everybody was winning when it came to multifamily investing. And then the interest rates, you know, went up so dramatically. And I think a lot of people were hit really hard. I will say, you know, there were a lot of good investors that were impacted too. And a lot of good syndicators that were impacted too, just how rapid these interest rates went up. But it's always helpful. You know, I found asking people like, when's a time that you failed in a real estate investment or haven't been able to provide the returns that you were planning to provide on your pro forma? to your investors has been a really helpful question too. And if they if they understand, like these are all the ways that we're mitigating that risk, that's probably someone worth looking into a little bit more. But I agree with you and you kind of beat around the bush in terms of like the most important thing getting into a deal is the operator and their track record. And do you trust them? And you did not trust this deal that was presented to you and you made the right decision and yeah. not investing in that. Yeah, thank you. Yes, I feel that, for example, that particular deal, like, and again, goes to, Anybody who's thinking about doing passive investment to talk to someone else who's done this, like get a second opinion and, you know, feel comfortable with it. That, that would be my advice. Yeah. And who knows what would have happened if you didn't run this by the lawyer or the attorney and you invested your money and, you know, you wired your bank account information or something like that. Who knows what could have happened, you know, if it was some sort of fraud or something else along those lines. And those things happen. And I think that doctors are often preyed upon because, to be honest, we, we don't have a lot of financial education. We have a ton of medical education and a ton of postgraduate training and so forth, but we don't get that financial education. 
and everybody else just sees physicians as quote unquote, making a ton of money or quote unquote, very rich until we get preyed upon. And, and this is kind of a little bit about what we were talking about off camera too, that sometimes yeah. it's hard to get doctors on board and physicians on board to like understand real estate investing is a really good opportunity. I feel like it might be like too extreme, right? It's either you invest and you don't know much, but then I want to put my money somewhere. So I just, whatever I invest or I'm afraid of investing and then I just don't want to know more. And I feel that people are taking advantage of me, so I don't invest at all. Yeah, I'd agree. Definitely both ends of the spectrum. And I feel like sometimes, you know, we're such analytical people and, and, and intelligent people that we want to know every single little detail to every investment that we're considering. And that leads to analysis paralysis and that leads to never getting started. And that's where, you know, a lot of people get stuck in this analysis paralysis phase. I want to invest in real estate. And then, there, you know, months and months go by and years go by and they never ended up investing. And then hindsight's twenty twenty, and they wish that they really did. What were some ways that you kind of got past that? And when you were getting started, did you have those fears or some of that analysis? Paralysis? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the first thing I did, I did a course, online course to learn about multifamily. That was the first thing I did. And I learned like all the terms and all that. And then I started like looking into deal and I look into this deal that I like. You know, months later, the deal had an issue. They didn't close right there. So I ended up revisiting the deal. Didn't know that it was the same deal. So the second time I liked it as well. And I was like, oh, wait, that was the first, the same what I saw before. I ended up investing with them. But first time I saw the deal, I was like, man, I really like it. But I don't know if I am ready yet. So I just started like learning everything. And I didn't feel that I had enough confidence to just put the money. So... The second time he came around again. So I was like, okay, now I'm ready to do it. Good deal. It's a lot of money oftentimes that, that folks are investing in these deals and definitely a scary thing. And that's why it's important to have people in your corner who understand what to look for and, you know, look, look over numbers for you as well. And you're very, you know, welcoming and I'm sure willing to help anyone who reach out to you for the most part and myself as well. We want to make sure physicians learn as much as I can and become educated when it comes to investments. And so just reach, reach out. Yeah, absolutely. Because I feel that when I was in residency, I got one of the other residents. He did put, I remember one time, a lecture about financial planning. And at that time, and again, I just, the Dominican Republic, so I thought that I really didn't need that. And when he talked, I felt overwhelmed. So that was, I, I put that in the back burner. I was like, I don't need about financing. And then like years later, I was like, yeah, financial planning again. And I met with someone at that time. And again, I felt like kind of like somebody wanted to take advantage of me or like they were not. So I, once again, that paralysis, right? I mean, I see their point. I should do something, but I don't know what to do. And I feel like maybe I have a dollar sign on my forehead. And so I, don't, I didn't do anything once again. And I was like, yes, it makes sense that I should do something. But I felt overwhelmed by so much information and feeling that there was no one I could relate to, basically. So it was a lawyer or it was a CPA or it was a financial advisor. But I didn't feel that there was someone who looked, you know, had my background, had my training, had 12 years of education or something like that. So I didn't have that. And I'm really, after discovering this, I would really like to help other physicians to feel that this is something real and this is something that they should pursue. And I would like to be someone they can relate to and see, you know, she understands my journey and I've been there. 
Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's why I started Physicians and Properties was to show physicians how investing in real estate can give you the freedom to practice medicine and live life how you want to. And, and that can look however you want it to. And so uh, it really cool. How has investing in real estate impacted your life or impacted your practice? Well, so far I have got in contact with so many interesting people like you included. <laughs> and, you. and the real estate game is a long-term game, right? So it's not that I have changed my this right now. Um, it will change in the future for sure. But it, it does give you the flexibility. And I see people who are in the game for longer than I have been. And I can see that they... Like you say, they have practiced medicine on their own terms. If they want to do it part-time, they do it part-time. If they want to do it full-time, they do it full-time, but because they want to, not because they feel pressure that they have to. Absolutely. Where do you feel like, what are kind of your goals, if you don't mind sharing, in the next, say, five years with real estate? What are, what are some goals that you have? I am very excited about, you know, others to learn more about this and to invest with people who are on the same journey to get financial freedom beyond their own terms and like encourage physicians to be on this path to maybe do medicine, part-time medicine, do more um, other things like art, be more into multifamily and give like a beauty of multifamily and create more communities like that. That's great. I do want to talk about art, but I did have one other question. What, what do you like about multifamily? Multifamily is, I see those communities, not that I have investment there, uh, but I do see, for example, there's a lot of communities in Miami Beach and they have like this, they look so cute and they're like, there's a few that are like really well put together and they give this sense of community. And I like that. I like that, that you have a project and you create something and you like beautify it. And it's just another little building, ugly looking building that you can actually make it beautiful and you make it more livable and that people feel proud to live there. So that is something I have seen by doing this, we can create. And to and value add multifamily is such a great way to do that too. You're exactly right. Like you can take this old building that was not taken care of for X amount of years and not updated and make it such an incredible place for your residents. And that can make such a huge impact on the community as well, which is really cool to see how like just the wheels of gentrification have to start somewhere. And, uh, you know, that one building that you guys bought and renovated and rehabbed into an incredible apartment complex can then impact the building next door and the next door and next door. And the next thing you know, you've changed a whole neighborhood, which is really cool. Yeah. So it's like I've seen those changes and it's like exciting when you see the change in the community and the people feel more excited for where they live. I, I think that that is very rewarding. That's really cool. It is definitely rewarding. And it's cool too, you know, to be honest with multifamily, you have those economies of scale, right? So if you have one single family home that is your rental and then you have to replace the roof, then there goes your cash flow for a whole year, you know? And if you have multifamily property that's tons and tons of units, you know, you're still getting paid rent in X number of units, regardless of what repairs are getting done. And so you have that economies of scale, a little bit of more kind of a safety net in that regard too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When I the a property that I have for single family, when I had to change the AC and I was like, OK, so I have to pay four thousand dollars to replace an AC, basically. And then when I was like calculating how much it would be if I had to replace, I don't know, 20 ACs, it was like twenty five hundred for the same thing. So I was like, it is definitely cheaper to do it on a large scale compared to just win one. So yeah. that is another thing for multifamily. And also, of course, you know, like when people had in 2008, they had a lot of single family homes and they have 
bubble bursts and people are losing their homes because you couldn't have a tenant anymore. But when you're in multifamily, you have multiple tenants, not just one. So you don't depend on right. just one family. Yeah, exactly right. Completely agree. Yeah, a lot of great benefits to it, not to mention the tax benefits that we already hit on. So it's a great investment, that's for sure. And really cool. Well, you mentioned art and I know you're an artist. So tell us a little bit more about that. Well, I paint oil mainly, also charcoal and graphite. And it's like, it's a great way to express yourself or be creative. I think a lot of physicians have a creative outlet and definitely painting is mine. And I am very passionate about it. I have done exhibits before and I'm looking forward to doing definitely more. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. What a cool outlet and a cool hobby. And I'm sure it probably helps you de-stress too after a long day in the clinic. Yeah, for sure. Like there's so much to create, like, you know, you, you see something and you want to express yourself and maybe something that you cannot say with words and with an image. Yeah. Or the, is there like a particular landscape you like to paint or people or portraits or what, what do you like to paint? So right now I'm doing a series on water. It's a water theme right now. So it has several elements. So one of them is I did that one during COVID. It's like this man underwater and it's like, we were all kind of isolated during COVID. So that is the representation of that painting, like the isolation we had during COVID times. So it was like, this series is an expression of human emotions, basically through water. So I, I have another one of that series that is like my reflection on the water. Oh, and then I have some city landscape in the back. So it's a reflection. It's like a self-reflection of someone in the city. There's like different elements of human emotion in that series. So that's what I'm working on right now. That's really cool. You could also say that the the man under the water is just under a bunch of hand sanitizer because I <laughs> felt like that's how it was for us during the pandemic. But that's really cool. Ivana, I can barely draw a stick figure. So I'm really envious of anybody who has artistic ability because I do not have it. So that's really cool uh, that you do that. And I'm sure living in Miami, you know, it, it, that's a huge art scene, I would imagine, for spending a little bit of time down there. So that's probably been really helpful for your career painting. Uh, yes, a lot of like more modern art, but we do have like very important art uh, fairs, like especially during the end of the year, we have like a huge art week, which is the first week of December. So very that's cool. like definitely a great week for anybody who's interested in art to be in Miami. That's awesome. What sort of projects are you working on right now in the real estate space? Or what sort of deals are you working on right now in the real estate space? I have a couple of different deals right now. I have been looking into some medical facilities as well. So I'm evaluating a few different projects. We discuss assisted living facilities. So that's something that I've been yeah. contemplating. And also some multifamily as well. So I have a few projects that I've been like analyzing. Very cool. Is there specific markets that you tend to focus on? I've been focusing, even though Florida has been a little crazy, but I have been looking into Florida and all Georgia. Yeah, that's great. Kind of the Sun Belt. Yeah. Well, the insurance in Florida has been crazy. Our insurance on one of our rentals there in Florida has just gone through the roof. And it's crazy to see that the price, I think we paid like $1,000 a month for, I mean, sorry, $1,000 a year for insurance on the single family house when I first moved there, or maybe even a little less than that. And then it, it ballooned to like 4,000. We ended up replacing the roof and that helped with it. But yeah, it's just crazy how insurance prices have spiked. And I have some friends who are 
investors in like the Tampa St. Pete area. And they said that, you know, sometimes insurance will be $10,000 or more for a single family house. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, there's been a lot of like speculation over that and like what's the reason behind it? Because, you know, with the hurricanes, that hurricane really hurt us a lot when it came to that because a lot of people were impacted and, you know, the insurance companies, they might get their money back. So that has been a little expensive. But so before that happened, a lot of people didn't carry insurance in Florida. So that also affected the whole situation. So I don't know, but I know that it's like way higher than in any other place. So that's one of the reasons probably what the numbers are not making that much sense anymore. It's true. Yeah. I also heard that a lot of insurance carriers just moved out and they refused to insure your Florida homes. And so we just had a, a huge drop in supply of insurance carriers. And so demand was still there, of course. And and so they were able to jack up prices and heard that, you know, Governor DeSantis was working on trying to get some people back into Florida and kind of change some things. But yeah, it, it makes things tough, you know, with the insurance prices going up and with interest rates where they are, Florida has become a little bit more difficult uh, to invest in than it was previously. Yeah, it was like during the COVID time, it did pretty well. After that hurricane we had the last time, it's difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we met on LinkedIn and I see you all over LinkedIn, which is really cool. Do you have any tips or tricks for like networking on LinkedIn or how has getting involved in LinkedIn impacted your real estate investing and so forth? Um, so I got involved. I haven't, I mentioned to you before, I'm not a very social media person. However, a friend recommended that I should get a LinkedIn. And after that, I basically realize that LinkedIn does provide a lot of value. I mean, there's a lot of great connections made, like we connected on LinkedIn. So it's basically connecting with people that are like-minded. So maybe an experience that someone might not have in their circle of people that they're around on a regular basis at home. But on LinkedIn, is a community of people who are like-minded and look for similar things. In this case, like looking for real estate, looking for like business growth. So I have found LinkedIn to be very valuable. And I, I started this year, but I think that the most valuable I saw is like I started commenting on people's posts because there's a lot of value to LinkedIn. There's a lot. I have learned a lot from it. I have learned a lot from very interesting posts in different areas. I've learned how to, how to connect with people. I have learned value of real estate, other values in finances in general, value of taxes looking for an accountant. I mean, I have gained a lot of value by looking into LinkedIn and connecting with people. And then the more you like, the more people see that you like. The more you comment, the more connections you get. And then from then, it's like it's sort of like scaling up. I highly encourage people who would like to a network of like-minded individuals to get a link. I completely agree. I, I just started on LinkedIn a few months ago. And it's been really cool to see the difference between LinkedIn and some other social media platforms. And I agree. I, I feel like a lot of doctors too are on LinkedIn. And and so that's helpful too, to, to network with some other physicians. And yeah, it's been really cool to see posts that you've had. Like I really liked the Muhammad Ali quote that you had, he who is not courageous enough to take risks will accomplish nothing. You got to love Muhammad Ali. And that's a great quote. And so it's cool to see these different quotes that maybe aren't necessarily directly related to real estate or to medicine, but are, are helpful and positive as you're going throughout your day. You know, a lot of social media is not as positive or educational. Correct. And because I see that as well. I see that, you know, to have a business and to be an entrepreneur and to have a business mindset, you have to 
there's something about your own mindset that has to be in the right place to be able to grow. And I have seen that there's a lot of that on LinkedIn, like people encouraging each other to grow and to have that positive mindset and to learn from this didn't work, but I'm going to see it as this is a chance to get better. I will tell you a personal experience. I started posting on LinkedIn and, and people started liking my posts and my uh, content and I started like increasing, right? And then one week I posted and nothing happened. And I'm like, what is going on? So I went to the, the, the post and I'm like, okay, I have no impressions, right? You know, like you have an impression yeah. that means that somebody actually looked at your post, right? But I didn't get impressions and it was very low. And I kept, I did that the next day. And again, I got nothing. So it was like, this makes no sense because the week before it was doing very well. And all of a sudden this week is not. So what happened? So at that point, I started like researching, like how to improve your social media profile and your platform and all that and started like learning more. And then like, so basically I learned from what I was doing wrong. So I learned that, for example, I didn't have my creator mode on. That's a thing. I had it off. And I didn't realize that that was something significant. So after I changed that, the post started making more sense. Like, you know, the track was like, it was like steady. As opposed to before, where it would like increase one day and then it will go to the bottom the next day. That's interesting. I'm going to have to check my LinkedIn after that. That's a good tip. <laughs> That's really cool. It's just been fun to see, you know... And, and see people's growth that they've had and yeah, share their failures and what they learned from it. It's been really fun. I definitely hope to spend some more time on LinkedIn networking with great people like yourself. Speaking of networking, before we kind of wrap things up here, do you have any final pieces of advice or anything else you want to share or anything that you feel like would be valuable for like a new resident or new att attending physician who's just getting started in the real estate investing space? I will certainly say, you know, if you're a resident, if you invest in a syndication and you know someone, you don't have to have hundreds of thousands of dollars to be able to invest. You can invest a small amount, but that will be valuable in the future. I honestly wish someone would have told me that when I was arrested. Invest now. You don't have to buy a large thing. You don't have to put like $500,000. You can invest 50000 In some deals, you can invest 25000 And it's not going to make you rich tomorrow, but it's going to make a significant difference in your life five years from that's fantastic. Yeah, start that snowball now and it's going to continue rolling down the hill and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and you're going to learn so much from that first deal. I tell folks all the time, residents, medical students who are heading towards residency, like consider, one, consider investing in some capacity. Two, of course, we love real estate. Three, consider house hacking too. I mean, you can use a physician loan where you can get a no money down single family home and then rent out the rooms to your, your friends that are in residency and house hack that way. And that's a way to get some real estate exposure that's safe and have the ownership and get paid a little bit to live there too. So there's a lot of ways to get started. And you're definitely a good example for folks to look out for, or sorry, to look at as they're getting into residency and going forward. So just get started. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I would say. Yeah, that's great. Well, where can folks reach out to you or contact you if they want to know more? Um, definitely on LinkedIn. <laughs> and on LinkedIn my website, which is ablifestoday, I, I'm sorry, ablifecapital.com. AB is for abundance. Uh, so ablifecapital.com and LinkedIn. Perfect. That's awesome. We'll include those in the show notes and you can find me on LinkedIn too, if you want to. <laughs> That's awesome. 
Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's been a pleasure getting to talk to you and looking forward to more conversations in the future. Thank you so much, Alex. Have a wonderful yeah. day. Thank you. With that, it's been uh, Dr. Alex Schlo and Dr. Ivana Valenzuela with another episode of the Physicians and Properties podcast. Signing off. Hey, real quick. If you're still listening to this, I'm assuming you got value from it. So I need your help specifically. My two-year vision with this podcast is to help 100,000 physicians learn how investing in real estate can give you the freedom to practice medicine and live life how you want. There are two main ways that a podcast grows. One is the ratings and reviews, and the other is word of mouth. If you can please leave me a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as send this to one to two friends that you think would get value from it, we can reach the physicians that we want to reach. Thanks in advance and talk to you on the next episode. Please note that the information shared on this podcast is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered financial or medical advice. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the host and the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Department of Defense or the United States Air Force.